Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Working Dog Podcast. This episode sponsors F10 Ultrafine Saddle Pads. Like most people, I've been on the hunt for a high quality saddle pad that is going to fit all types of horses as well as look good and perform under all conditions. When I was fortunate enough to win Cowboy of the Day Award at a ranch rodeo this fall, I was awarded an F10 Ultra Pad. I was ecstatic because I was in desperate need of a new pad anyways, but it wasn't until after I talked to Dylan at F10 Ultra that I realized what I got my hands on. They use nothing but the best, sourcing their wool from 100% merino sheep here in Alberta. F10 rated wool has the highest compression rating and tensile strength rating on the market. This makes it an easy choice for you and your equine partner. I have been on a long journey to find a pad of this quality and happy to say I stand behind F10 Ultrafine saddle pads fully. You can find one yourself at f10ultra.com. You can also use code Alley for a percentage off and enjoy yours. Now we are going to cut to an episode with Kyre Scott of Herding East Dog Dogs. So, 4.0 in school. <laughs> Slightly genetically challenged, however, yeah. still made it this far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just start off by, um, first of all, thanking you for coming on to the podcast, yeah. as well as being a sponsor of the podcast. Yeah. We well, appreciate that. Because, um, God bless you, it's such a good podcast, and uh, you post about biannually. So, <laughs> we hear we hear about that actually. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, I know what they need: money. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we got that done. And and now like a hundred percent can't sponsor this one because that would look just so. It cheesy. would be so mm-hmm. biased. That was yeah. so cheesy. Yeah. yeah. So sorry, this one's not a big thing for me. No. <laughs> we'll find another one. Yeah. yeah maybe. So uh, let's start off with. Um, how you got into dogs, you know. Sure. So, yeah, um, uh, for anyone that wouldn't know, I'm Milt's son, and Milt started this in the 80s. I'm not going to say the exact date because I'll get mad probably. But uh, uh, the 80s sometimes. So I grew up around this, and, and so I don't know, like, for a long time, I didn't really have a big interest in it, especially because I got packed every dog trial. So I was just like, oh, I don't know, like, that's really my jazz or whatever. And uh, then, you know, as a kid, I kind of played around with dogs and that sort of thing. But then when I was like 19, I was in college, uh, 19 or 20, uh, dad said, hey, I got a dog I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> you can try him if you'd like. And uh, that dog's name is Sweet. And him and I clicked right away. And then we won a ton of arena trials. Where I really got into competing and that sort of thing. That was this be... dog broke? Like, oh, yeah. 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 I got him when he was four or five. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess I've been around it forever. And actually, on that, um, when I was born, because this is one of my favorite stories ever, uh, when I was born, my mom and dad only had one vehicle that they shared. Mm-hmm. And mom had been from Okotoks area. She came and moved in with dad have a family and everything and then she was like two or three weeks overdue on her pregnancy and dad was entered in a cow dog trial out by Serial Alberta mm-hmm. and uh, uh, 
So he's entered in on the trial on the weekend. He's like, I'm going to go to the trial. Not close for anybody who's yeah, not oh, yeah, familiar. Yeah, yeah. Like, like three or four hours. Away yeah, or yeah. Something. And uh, uh, so mom said, like, yeah, I don't think you should go. Like, I'm overdue. This is a bad idea. And he's like, ah, I'm going. So <laughs> he, went, he went, and sure enough, she went into labor. And uh, she couldn't get hold of, of our cell phones. So she called the neighbor who she just like kind of knew, like went to dinner with one time. Oh. And, that, and it, De- Dennis Nagel for anyone who knows him and uh, his wife. And, and they, uh, so they picked up mom and took her to the hospital and got calling Milk's bag phone. So, you know, the bag phone said pick up. And uh, so Nagel's calling, calling, calling. And then as Milk's walking by the truck to switch dogs, you know, at the trial, he gets to call and answers. He's like, no, you're. Nina's in the hospital having a baby, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. So he switches his dogs, does his run anyway. <laughs> and, then, and then goes, and uh, like I got, it was kind of a complicated birth, it doesn't really matter, but I had a collapsed lung, like I was mm. in tough shape. But despite that, Milt left and went back to the trial and won it, and then uh, uh, with the prize money, bought a, <laughs> a proposal ring. As he should have. Yeah, I think yeah, he had yeah, a bit to make up. Maybe. Yeah, if, if you asked Milt the story, he said, like, yeah, I went to the hospital, got you up and sucking, which, for the record, I had a collapsed lung. And, like, <laughs> and I was like, in, like, nick you. And he went back. And, so, like, literally, like, yeah, as long as you know, I can be alive, I've been around dog trucks. Yeah. It's had a big influence on your life from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Maybe it was written in the stars then. You, yeah, uh, which is kind of yeah. funny because like I was out of it for so long. Mm-hmm. And then when I started competing quite a bit, people were like, hey, Kyron! <laughs> I have no idea who you were. Yeah. That's <laughs> like they knew me when I was a kid. Yeah. So, oh, well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you had that dog in college. Where did you go to college? Bulls. Okay. What did you take? Uh, just the business and then. Yeah. I kind of thought yeah, there's nothing to do with dogs, but uh, you could take egg business or business and then. Mm-hmm. I'm like, God forbid, there's a job out there, and they see egg business and think I'm just some egg. Mm-hmm. So I thought, like, I'll get business again. Yeah. Which, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have done the egg business. Yeah. Yeah. Where I work. But anyway, that, that's not here. Yeah. And huh. then after college, where did you go? Um, I worked, tried selling cars for a minute. That was, that was wow. I don't know. I retired. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went and worked for Dad at the yeah. I've been there at least six years in January. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then after that one dog, you've stayed pretty steady with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, so I had him for a bit, and then, you know, COVID came around and shut down competing for a minute. And Samantha and I, my wife, who uh, is lovely and she's not sitting here with us right now, but uh, and supports this whole thing, um, you know, we're, starting a family and, and this sort of thing and I was like man you know I I don't know after sweet ages out maybe I'll just stop because you know I don't want to be on the road all the time and blah 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 and uh, then at that time when I was kind of thinking about hanging up the spurs as it were I uh, got approached by a lady well her and her family Katrina uh, Shalise who if she hears this she, she'll 
giving her all the credit in the world for keeping me in. Oh, okay. Because they came to me and they said, hey, we got a dog. Actually, they're trying to get hold of Milt's, and Milt's is hard to get a hold of. So I took the call just because, you know, uh, see what they needed. And they said, you know, we got a dog. We could, we'd love some help, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't really do any of that lesson stuff. And uh, but if you bring the dog out, I'll show you what I know, and we can go from there. And uh, they, they came out, and they just thought it was wonderful. And they stalked me for like nine months or something. Yeah, they just wouldn't leave me alone. And it was, thank God. Um, mm-hmm. And then they said, listen, if you want to do lessons, we'll pay you and we'll bring friends. And I said, okay. So I told them a price that would make them go away. Mm-hmm. And they said, sounds good. <laughs> so, Dang it. And it's, yeah, then it started. And uh, uh, so we lovingly call it a dog night. We do it at the Thorlickson's Arena. Uh, twice a week but it all started there and then at the beginning Katrina would like bring her friends I didn't I just showed up with sheep mm-hmm. and would work dogs and then um, we got into it and it started to grow and I thought oh man I better get some dogs going and now it's a full-blown addiction mm-hmm. right so what uh, sounds like you've kind of worked with people from all walks with your schooling yeah. night. So do yeah. you want to speak to that a bit? Like yeah, different yeah. ranges of folks getting into oh, it? Oh, totally. So um, where we're located, so that we have our little business called Herding East Dog Dogs. And it, it's called that for a couple reasons. Uh, Zach Ryan has a really good song, Heading South. Mm-hmm. We were listening to that, and we thought Herding East, because we're East Airdrie and whatever. So that's where the name came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so just proximity to Calgary, and, and uh, Airdrie and, you know, even Olds and people come from all over. Um, we get a lot of folks, a lot of, you know, we get some agriculture types and then we get a lot of um, those kind of sport dog sort of people. Mm-hmm. And, and just, you know, people that have herding dogs that want to give it a go. And I have no prejudice generally. Uh, I've had a deaf dog come out. I've had um, Belgian Malinois. I've Cowboy Corgis, I've had Shelties, I've had you name it. And, uh, and you know, we give everyone a go. And, you know, we not not everyone sticks with it naturally just because, you know, you can't can't force a dog to love it. So if they don't love it, then, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, a lot of people. And, and it, it's been a lot of fun because it's one thing to train your own dogs. And you're out by yourself, and you're figuring out everything. But now you're training a multitude of personalities, yes. and a multitude of styles and that sort of thing. And then you have to turn around and explain it, right? Right. And you have to intellectualize it so much more definitely. Like, you know, you have to have it in your head what you're trying to do, mm-hmm. and then tell people what you're trying to do, and it forces you to think about it all. Right. Time. So how would you say that has developed your training philosophy and grown your own yeah. skills? Oh, it, so, okay, let's put it this way. So um, if you think the average person has, the average person who does this has five dogs in the kennel at any given time, right? Okay. So in a week, there were five dogs. And that's five different personalities, five whatever, mm-hmm. five different situations, so and so on. You know, in our dog night, I'll see anywhere from a dozen to two dozen different 
Right. right. So I'm getting exposed to all these mm-hmm. different experiences. And every if you let dogs teach you, right, if, if I go in on my dog night and I just drop them into the program, right, if I'm like a guy that has a system or a program and I just drop them in and they're just going to go through the program, then I'm not going to learn anything. But if I go in with an open mind and let every dog teach me, like, you know, it's unbelievable what I'm going to learn in a week just for myself. So it's like, you know, we're offering these services and, and these services, I think, you know, people get a lot of value out of. Yeah. Um, obviously, I wouldn't do it if I didn't believe in it, but it's teaching me so much along the way. It's just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And on top of it, you get some people like that you wouldn't expect, especially, you know, they come Calgary, wherever, right? And they come in and they just are so passionate and it's just contagious. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, if you're ever feeling down about dogs and you're like, Blah, and then you hang around some people that are really excited about it. It's like it's hard not to. Yeah. Yeah. You want to go home and work a dog. Right? Oh, exactly. Exactly. And like, you know, to put it in perspective, so we do it in the evenings, and um, that shit's kind of changed now. But like, I would leave my house at uh, around six thirty in the morning, and then I would work all day, get done my regular job four thirty-five, and then start dog night. I wouldn't get home until between 10.30 and 12.30 in the morning, sort of thing. And, uh, uh, you know, you're working dogs from 5.30 p.m. until, you know, five hours straight. Mm-hmm. And it's just dog after dog after dog after dog. And twice a week. So it's like, it's busy. Like, it's, it's, it's just craziness. But it's, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. Really rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Has you have you had anybody uh, come to your dog night that have stood out in your mind, just really surprised you either with their dog or yeah, themselves or uh, what? Oh, totally. And and I could, I would love to give a list of names. I know I'd leave people, but like obviously Katrina, who started mm-hmm. it all, like she was wonderful. And then uh, uh, there's another gal who's kind of kicking ass and taking names, and her name's Sandy Practical, uh, uh, and she's really really good. And it's kind of a danger because, like, when you get these people that are really handy and you give them too much advice and they start beating you, (laughs) it means you're doing a good job. No, it doesn't. No, No, you're you're just totally shooting yourself in the foot. No, no, I I, I really enjoy when other people are successful, genuinely. But uh, yeah, there's some folks that are like, they're coming on, and there's there's other names, and I could go through the whole list. Yeah, there's a ton of people. And, you know, it's tough in so much as, like, one of the reasons people come is they may not have access to sheep. Some of them, let's say, they they have a little ranch or whatever, they have some cows and that sort of thing at home, right? You can't go and chase your cows around every day. It's hard to work. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And maybe you don't have a spot for some training stock, like training calves or training lambs or something. So they come out because that's their training time and you know you're talking twice a week for 10 20 minutes or whatever it's hard to get them to go like train really quickly obviously yeah Yeah. compared to the person that can take their dogs out for a couple hours every day Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um but you know yeah yeah, there's these people who learn lots and they're just so passionate 
You get in a range of breeds still, or yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I've kind of come to the realization, like, so I I tell people I'm not a very good trainer, in so much as you watch like a movie like Airbud or like those kind of you know gimmicky things where it's like Lassie's barking to show someone that person does well and blah blah blah, right? You know, someone trained those dogs to do that. I have no idea how they did that. I have no interest in learning how. That's just not my yeah. thing. What I like is to take a dog's passion and excitement and instinct to work, right? To, to, to hurt, right? At the end of the day, um, sheep, cattle, you name it, it doesn't matter what it is. They want to work and they're excited to work and they love it. Yeah. And then you take that enthusiasm and all you do is teach and guide it. And, and you get the dog to a point, because if, you, if you've been training a few dogs, you know at the beginning, they're just combative, right? Especially those hard-headed ones where they're like, oh, we want to chase. And they just feel like you're the angry stepmom that's mm. fighting them on everything. Yeah. But, you know, you get to a dog to a point where it's like, you know, hey, Mr. Dog, you want to be really good at this. You want to do this, and you want to be good at this. Get that's my goal too. Mm-hmm. I want you to do this, and I want you to be yeah, on the same page. Exactly. Yeah. And when you get them on the same page, then they start working with you and not against you. Mm-hmm. And what I've realized with some of these um, non-traditional kind of herding breeds is that I don't understand their motivations enough to help teach them. Yeah. Right. And I, I try to tell people honestly at the beginning, it's like I will give everything a shot um, because we've had it a couple times where someone's brought out a dog that was like maybe one of the and I turn around like, hey, you know, you're, I think you've got some talent for this and you obviously have some excitement around it. What I would do if I was you, if you really want to do this, go out, buy a border collie, maybe it's trained, maybe it's not, whatever, and, and try again. You know, mm-hmm. this dog might teach you some stuff, but really, if you want to do this, do it right from the start. And we've had that happen a few times. And I think that if I just do a blanket ban on these kind of, no, Operation. yeah, you don't want to do that. Exactly, because yeah. I think we could, it would limit us exposing the sport to people who would maybe really get involved. And because I think you've seen it, I've seen it a zillion times now, anyways, that someone brings up their dog, which is called Fluffy in this example. They bring up Fluffy, and Fluffy, they show the sheep, and Fluffy has no interest in it. And they're like, oh, shucks, it wasn't for me. And it's like, it no, it wasn't for Fluffy. It wasn't for Fluffy. <laughs> Fluffy had no interest in this, but it, it could be for you. Yeah. Right? And just getting to that, or, you know, maybe you train a dog for six months, and you're like, ah, oh, maybe Fluffy likes it, but he's no good at it. Right? Yeah. This sport, uh, I'll try a different sport. It's like, no, 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 you're you're good at this. Yeah. Go out and, and just get another dog or whatever and try. Like, mm-hmm. I think you have uh, opportunity to do so. You should do it. Yeah. So, speaking of getting another dog... Earlier, you said you kind of thought you should fill your kennels up after you had just had that one dog. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where Where were you sourcing these dogs, and what? <laughs> I'm not very picky. Yeah. And maybe that's a bit of a mistake. Um, I kind of. So I've talked around with a few people, and and if we look at it just from like a mathematics point of view, like if you want to get into the double round, right, in sheepdog traveling, that's the place to be is the double round. Or you know, if you're an arena traveler, which my jam, you think, you know, Calgary's empty, whatever, right? So, typically, they only take the top 20%, okay? And out of that top 20%, you can only be one that wins, mm-hmm. uh, but you would at least want to be Cody, generally, 
So if we think that you want a, at least a finals dog, we need 20% of dogs that will actually work. Mm -hmm. So if you take the best breeding in the world and you have five puppies, um, two out of the five may not even work at all. And then you're left with the last three. And of those three, we're talking 20% will make it to the finals. Mm -hmm. And if 20% make it to the finals, you need more than three to kind of judge that. So I think like if I want, if you want one dog, you need to buy you know, at least five. Right. And then sort through them. And then that sounds like, like I'm just trying to be a, a paper industry. And that's not the case. Every dog I've sold has gone to a way better home than I was given. In so much as like if I have a dog that's working, but not to that standard, I'm going to leave them in the kennel and go grab the one that is working. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at that dog, and I could own it for the rest of its life, and it could be miserable, mm -hmm. rotting in a kennel. It could hate me, right? Like, I think it's one of these interesting things that, like, when we buy these pets, we look at it as a marriage, like, to death do us part. And never mind that they might hate us. Mm -hmm. They could. Like, you don't know that. Yeah. Right. And, and if you sell it to somebody that that dog will just jive with, and then, you know, you did a net good to the sport. Right. So I think, you know, buy lots and then sell whatever doesn't work. And, but, you know, be picky that you'll try to match up homes. Because, you know, that helps your reputation, too. For sure, yeah. You know, people are buying dogs that they're happy with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been trying to buy quite a few and sort through the ones that fit me the best. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, dog Tinder. And, uh, yeah, just keep swiping. Yeah, exactly. But and then move the ones on to homes I think they fit. Yeah, right. Sort of. Yeah. You have any tidbits like do's and don'ts when you're buying and developing that dog from pup to the post kind of thing? Um, so, yeah, that's a good question. Um, okay, so from the buying, I I kind of glance at the paper. I I like to buy them off people I trust. Yeah. Right and. Typically, I'd like to buy them off competitors, right? Because if a fellow competitor read that litter, I would like to believe that they're, they believe in that. Breeding for a purpose. Exactly. They're yeah. breeding for a purpose. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, if they're being held to the standard of my fellow competitors, then they should be held to a good enough standard for me to give a go. Right. So I, I rarely buy a dog I wouldn't buy one that I just like found in downtown Calgary, mm -hmm. right? I'd want to buy one from like names I knew and that sort of thing. So that that's the buying side. And then when I bring them up, um, I'm, I'm maybe not the best puppy raiser per se, just because uh, I don't have a lot of time. And then uh, I, I let them figure their stuff out. I don't mind. I've fostered before, like sent them away. Yeah. And that's been fun. Um, but then, especially at the beginning, I try not to, uh, <laughs> at the beginning, I try not to ask too much to learn, right? Like I let them, you know, cause if you think at the, when you first start, all you're telling them is I want you to go chase livestock. Yeah. Um, and then if you step in and try to correct something too early, all you're doing is saying to the dog, they don't understand. What they're doing in that particular moment was wrong. Yep. They just say, okay, I was chasing livestock. I got chastised or corrected. Hence, I shouldn't chase livestock. Yeah. Right. So I think at the beginning, 
I'll, I'll not ask them to hardly anything for weeks. Yeah. Just learn to love it enough exactly. that they aren't going to quit. I, and that's a key phrase. I think that they have to love it more than they anything. Yeah. They, they have to love it more than they hate being corrected by me. Yeah. They have to love it more than they hate thunderstorms. They have to love it more than everything. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they would rather die mm-hmm. than not do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, people ask, like, what kind of dogs do you look for? And it's like, I have no idea. I, you know, if, if it's a winning dog, you know, who cares what it mm-hmm. does, right? Like, oh, I don't like that it does this on this way or whatever. You know, if it's winning and, and jiving with you, right? And I go back to Milt. Milt has, like, vastly different dogs in his kennel. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't stick to lines. He doesn't stick to nothing. And uh, they all work just so, so different. And they have such different personalities. So... I think, you know, when you want to be winning, you just get things that win, mm-hmm. and, and who cares what the difference is. Mm-hmm. Um, but all I know is, when I'm looking at a dog, if they love it, and they're willing to try their guts out, like if I say, you know, go in and get those, you know, rams out of the corner, and they're big and scary, I know that, at least try. If you get run over, if you get scared, that's one thing, but don't just ignore me, don't just run out of the pen, at least give it a go. Because mm-hmm. if you can get try out of a dog, I think you can start teaching them all kinds of things and work with their personality and try to smooth out the rough spots and, and accentuate the good spots. Mm-hmm. But like the main thing is getting them to like try. Yeah. That's so you'd much rather buy a pup maybe than breed for yourself, or are you I, happy with yeah, that? I hate breeding. Yeah. I, I don't understand how to do it. No, really have any interest in learning. Yeah. Um, I'll let other people do the breeding. Um, so I kind of developed a recent policy because I had a, a embarrassing to say, but I had an accidental litter last fall and it was risky and it was so bad. It went smooth and everything, but like, I just I hated everything about it. I didn't like, you know, puppies are messy. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch yeah. of work, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So uh, now I own strictly boys oh really yeah boys can't make puppies with boys yeah so it's and it's just because i already had two boys that i really like like Uh owl sweep who's retired Mm -hmm. he's and this dog blue that i like Mm -hmm. and so i'm like okay we'll just keep bringing boys in because i don't have to worry because i thought i was really careful with this female and uh i had her in her own kennel just to be safe for a month but i just i must have been too late or Mm -hmm. something i don't know it's hard it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. so hard. It is. So I, I just would rather not mess around with Yeah. So you have a blog. Yeah. One new, uh, it's really great, by the way. Oh, thank you. It's awesome. It's really well written. If anyone's um, read Kyra's blog, they know that. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Why I, you did it, if you're just expressing your feelings in the <laughs> secret, or I don't know. Captain's Journal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it is funny, because... Um, I was kind of working a job where it was just kind of running equipment, so I just felt like brain dead. So I was like, man, I gotta, I'm gonna go crazy. So I mm-hmm. started writing blogs just as a way to, so I wouldn't go mentally insane. And, uh, and then it turned into a lot of fun. And, and what's cool is like, you're sitting there thinking about dogs. And sometimes I find not, not entirely, but 
can be where people who run nodes don't always want to talk about dogs. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it's not like they're wanting to hide their secrets, I don't think. I think it's just a little bit more maybe insecurity is that like, oh, I, I know I'm not really good at this. I don't want to talk about this and make myself look silly. I think people are afraid to have their thoughts criticized. Exactly. I yeah. think that's a big part of it. Is yeah. That, you know, because even with the, the podcast that you guys do, you know, I've listened to episodes. I, I love them, but I know that I'm like, I would never do it like that. Or, you know, you talk to people after, and it's like, oh, can you believe what so-and-so said? That's so ridiculous, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, talking dogs is, can be tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I decided I'd talk dogs by myself. Where <laughs> <laughs> no one can comment. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then I got writing notes, and then, um, and now I, I haven't wrote any for a long time. And it was just kind of, I switched to kind of a more brain and on top of it, I, uh, I was start writing one, and I'm like, oh, man, rewriting something I've already wrote before. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, there, there are really a lot of fun. And I think if someone's tweet on it, has, like, a whole, you kind of get the picture on what I kind of think about dogs and what I'm all about. Mm-hmm. Um, not claiming, like, I'm an expert by any means. If I was an expert, I'd be, I would have been at the World Trial in Ireland this summer. Do it in the double lift or something. And that's not it. I just think uh, at writing it, I'm like, you know, I have my own way of looking at things. And if someone can get something out of it, for sure, great, right? Like if, if they just get one thing, they read all of them, they're like, oh, that's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. And they try it. Well, that's kind of what we liked about this podcast deal too. Like we haven't really talked to the podcast much about why we started it, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Um, but it was it's the same deal. If you could. You know, get one person to match up with one handler that they really liked. Oh yeah. And you know, if we have fifty episodes out there and fifty different handlers, maybe that one person will come into the community and enjoy. Yeah. It and be like, hey, that yeah. guy. I think I could really mesh with that guy, and he's in my area, and I cool. didn't even know. Exactly. And I think you know, like, I think back to pre-COVID, we hosted the Canadian Sheepdog Finals, and I was visiting these people. I'm like, and we were talking about like this was. It's mm-hmm. dying, dying, and, and not slowly, like rapidly. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we were talking like, how do we get new people in and that sort of thing. And then COVID, it kind of seemed it, it, it exploded. And yeah. it, there was parts of like people got a dog, now they don't know what to do with it, and they're going to try this. But there was also like I remember back in the '90s when this in this area, area being you know, Western Canada, Western Canada in the '90s just went crazy. It was bumpy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, things were happening yeah. and and I, it, there was like a mass exodus of all these old hats in you know the late 2000s like coming into the 2010s and so like a whole bunch of old people left and now it seems like they're coming back and there's new people showing up mm-hmm. and that's what it is to me and um, I think that I would love to see the sport just grow 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 because um, it, it, it's just in the net good of everybody um, ideally, where do you see it in 10 years from now? The sport? Yeah. I would love to see it. I don't know. I think about this all the time, and I go back and forth. I, I'd like to see us have more of a community like it is in, in Europe, or specifically the whole four, like Ireland, England, Wales, Scotland, where they, they have dog trials every weekend, yeah. and the entry fees are really low, and it's more about, like, you know, it's, they look at it like they're going out for a weekend of golf. 
I, I, and I know maybe someone hears that and says, oh, we take it way more serious than that. And I, I totally agree. It's just it's way more accessible. And having a trial isn't as much work mm-hmm. as it is here. Like, you have to find stock, you have to pay for that stock, you have to truck them, you got to find a field, you got to find a judge, you got to find a let up crew. And, you know, over there, it's like, hey, how about I run, we run on my sheet next weekend? We'll run on your sheet. That more condensed. Doing. It's more condensed. Yeah. And when there's way more sheep. And the sport is way more supported. Um, and I think that's why I think growth is be so important. Because if you have the density, right, you don't have to travel. The average trial you travel for, unless you're hosting it, yeah. is like four hours. Mm-hmm. They're all four hours away. It just means like four hours or more. No matter where you live, they're always like that far away. And, um, and I would love to see more competitions. And then I would love to see more uh, an upside Right, because it seems like if you train a dog, right, the best you can hope for, not the best, generally speaking, they go for about thirty-five hundred bucks, say, right, around three grand. Yeah. Some go more, some go less. Yeah. Um, some go for way, way more. Um, but like, you buy a puppy for twelve hundred dollars. You put years into no it. Years margin. into it. There's you nothing there. You put vet bills and dog food, yeah. and you get two thousand bucks. You know that's. Like, I, I know they can't get too expensive, otherwise they're not, people can't get involved. But, you know, you would, if you were able to justify as a rancher having more dogs around from the economic side, I think that would in, increase the amount of agriculture type people. Right. Right, because then they can look at, you know, again, going back to the home floor, a lot of those guys are sheep farmers that also train dogs for supplementary income. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, and here, I think this, this might, I don't know if it's controversial, but I have never seen that selling dogs has a lot of money in it, right? Because like you said, like I said before, you buy those 10 dogs, mm-hmm. you know, 20% off the top will never work, right? Because it's not interesting. 80% will be varying values drastically. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, oh, I'm missing the Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, at the end of the day, if you buy your 10 cops, train them, keep the ones they like, and, and get to people that need dogs, the others, um, you're, you're going to be net down, I think, just mm-hmm. off of the dollars and cents. Especially if you were to think that you picked up a shift at Walmart and paid yourself, you know, $15 an hour. Yeah. You'd be way better off there. Yeah. So, really, in North America, money, if there is any money in the sport, coaching because the net if you think of the net demand people will buy puppies all day long like mm-hmm. people from Calgary all over will buy especially a border collie pups aren't worth that much really mm-hmm. compared to a labradoodle mm-hmm. yes. worth five grand right? yeah. you buy a pup for uh, anywhere from 800 bucks to 2500 generally mm-hmm. right? um, so people have no problem spending money on a pup they just don't know how to train it right. and then they're looking for knowledge all the time where I think you know you look at the different online subscription-based you know, trainings, where the clinics always like people post clinics and they fill within a couple days mm-hmm. all the time. Oh, that's good. Right, like I think, or or board training is the exact same thing. Is people people have no problems buying young dogs, but they have no idea how to train them. So the demand in the industry comes from the knowledge that trainers have that maybe non-trainers. 
-hmm. Not a real obvious um, bridge between those two groups of people either. Yeah. Like, you know, there's some people out there that are able to connect with them well, but it's, I mean, it's your, like, where you're at and how you've advertised yourself that's giving you access. But there's not a pile of you out there doing the same thing that you're doing. No, no. And and that's just, and I've talked to some of the, like, the old hats, quote unquote, and they're like, you know, it's not they're being vindictive. It's not that they're they're trying to hoard knowledge at all. No, right? Going doing these clinics and doing these lessons is a pile of work. Draining. It's too. exhausting. Yeah. Mentally, it's just so because you're really trying to explain something to someone that you just innately understand almost in your bones that you mm-hmm. get it. Yeah. And then maybe someone doesn't, and you're trying to get it through them, and you feel like you're not helping. Blah blah blah. And, and a lot of these people, these old hats, and, and people have been in for a long time, they may do clinics all the time, but, you know, why would they do it every weekend? They have their own lives. Right. Right? And I really don't think they're hoarding knowledge at all. I think they're more than well, willing to take phone calls and have a lessons and that sort of thing. Yeah, and sometimes I wonder if it's not uh, contradictory to the typical personality of a trainer to be that extroverted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, like trainers are people that prefer to hang out with animals. Exactly. Not- <laughs> For a reason, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and that's a nice thing with dog night. Essentially, with our dog night, it, it's a, you know, you, your average clinic, you buy a working spot, you take your dog out two or three times a maximum, right? And then otherwise, you're listening through the day yeah. to the clinician talk yeah. about it. And the do- our dog night is the exact same way where you get your working spot and then you can sit and walk. And, mm-hmm. and then we don't charge auditor fees at all, so you can just do it on your own, right? And I, I'm personally, my knowledge is free. It's my time you got to pay for. It's if I'm going to be away from my wife and kids, you know, I got to justify that somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, doing a net good to the community is wonderful. My kids want me to, so yeah. <laughs> so I got to, and, and that's where the money comes in. Otherwise, if people ever wanted to call me, or if they just want to come audit something, yeah. I have no problem. Like those people are really lucky to have that, and I hope that they they appreciate it. And it sounds like a lot of people are utilizing it, so that's yeah, that's yeah, really cool. It, yeah, it's it's been fun. It's, yeah, um, just to change gears uh, slightly, um, like with the uh, trialing scene, and um, you know how involved you are and your passion for the sport. I've noticed with you and your dad, like you guys are always putting into the industry. And, um, and that's, I mean, hosting trials can be a thankless endeavor and you guys are always doing it. And, uh, I just think that's fantastic. So thank you for that. Um, and I guess, do you want to speak to the direction of our, the trial scene and their associations in Canada and, uh, just kind of that culture that you guys contribute to that? Yeah, for sure. I think honestly, um, so like where we see the sport in 10 years, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's going to be really tough. For a lot of reasons, so like when we're, I'm, I'm on the, uh, I'm a director of the Alberta Stock Dog Association, mm-hmm. and um, the ASDA, you know, we're trying to do different things to promote trialing or whatever, but it, it's there's snow on the ground half the year, mm-hmm. so that that's not something to be just disregarded. We have to find heated arenas and these kind of venues to make it happen. Not cheap for half the year. Um, calves, last I checked, uh, these fall calves that are going through on fall run are doing 
four plus dollars a pound. Yeah. And and if we do, you know, people at home can probably do it themselves. If you think of stock fees, right, for a cattle cow, um, if you assume on the low end a two percent shrink, and you get lighter calves, let's say you can mail them some eight hundred pound calves, and a two percent shrink that's sixty seven some bucks per head. Yeah. Right. That that's at four dollar twenty. I think they do some math on that, and that's what the market is right now. Mm-hmm. So on these high price calves, you're looking at sixty seven dollars in shrink per animal, and if you need 80, 60 animals, whatever, to do your trial, you have to pay for all of that, plus trucking, right? So, mm-hmm. and then if you want to pay your judge and figure that out and pay the arena rental, next thing you know, and you want to do a jackpot, um, unless you're really creative on sponsorship, and, oh, and by the way, you also have to pay your sanctioning fees to make sure that the people who come to your trial can collect points to the associations and there's that, yeah. Right, and mm-hmm. those aren't free. And I, I think we should, like, as a trial host, it's important to me that we pay those fees and that people can collect points and and be competitive in these different associations. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying the net balance at the end of the day makes trialing so expensive. Yeah, and and that's just in cows. Mm-hmm. And then in sheep, to make a sheep dog trial work, you need at least you know you can, you're looking at 200 plus animals, mm-hmm. and not let's pretend money is no problem, right? At the end of the day, who has two hundred uniform sheep in this part of the world? Yeah, that everyone's not going to complain about. Yeah, it, yeah. Melt said in one of his interviews, if it wasn't for Hutterites, uh, uh, Hutterite colonies, mm-hmm. and having sheep around, you know, I have no idea what we do because mm-hmm. hardly anyone runs. Like, you know, you may have a flock of a hundred, or let's say you may have a flock of two hundred. Great. But there's going to be your call use and your, and your yearling use and blah, blah, blah. To have 200 uniform sheep to have a uniform competition, bloody damn difficult. Mm-hmm. Bloody damn difficult. So I think, you know, trialing is up against that for sure. Right. Um, and it's, it's only going to get harder. Yeah. Honestly, like, you know, it, it doesn't look like, you know, the price of barley is going to go I mean, it's gone down a little bit, but we're talking feed in general isn't going down, and naturally, the cost of livestock isn't going to go down either as it matches feed. So, trialing is going to get more and more expensive. Mm-hmm. But the, the different associations, I think, they do really, really great work on so many, so many things, and each association has its own thing that they're really good at. Like I think the Canadian Cowdog, as an example, they have programs in place. Bumping people up and bumping new handlers up to the next step, right? Kind of forcing them to get out of the kitty pool, if, if you will. Sounds like they're being vindictive or whatever, but it's not. It really isn't. Because if you're a newbie and you show up to a competition, and let's say you're going to like a big open field trial, and you see these dogs doing 800, or you know, uh, the Ranch Master Classic this spring was a full kilometer over. Totally. That's a cool one. It was a full summer pace off. It was a thousand thirty paces of kilometer. And if you're a newbie and you're like playing around in your backyard, and you're like, man, I really like this. And you go to that field trial and you see that those sheep a kilometer away. You're like, that's impossible. 
And then you look at the novice class and you're like, oh, okay, they make it way more manageable. And those people are really good, right? Why would you ever get in? It's so intimidating. Mm. So the Canadian Cowdog has this where, you know, they'll bump you and put you up to the next class when, when you're accomplishing mm-hmm. you know, or accomplished and competitive. That's great. Yeah. You know, it protects new people getting involved. Yeah. It's really, really great. Yeah. That and is, some of the other sports, or some of these other associations um, don't, like the USBCHA doesn't even sanction the novice class, right? Or the pro novice class slash intermediate, and it, in our area it gets used uh, inter, interchangeably. Mm-hmm. But the USBCHA doesn't sanction those classes, so they have no authority in those classes. So how could they ever protect the novices? Right. From people who, you know, want to be in the novice for ten years and take everyone's money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 yeah, it is a huge challenge protecting the integrity of any competition. Hey? Oh yeah, and uh, yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying people are generally vindictive. I just think nope. that people get there. You know, I've talked to different novices. And I said, man, why, why are you doing here? Like the novice was for people getting involved. Like, yeah. you're winning them. Like, yeah. No, I could never run against. You guys, it's yeah. like one day you'll have to. One day, not not just that. I think one of the keys to being an open handler is you have to have a little bit of arrogance to believe you can. Right. Right. Because if you go in insecure, your dog's going to feel insecure, mm-hmm. and then nothing's ever going to work. Mm-hmm. You have to have at least some confidence. And and I, you know, I'm quite arrogant, so I can lend people some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rent yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah. I can rent it out. But I always tell people, God hates a coward. So mm-hmm. you know, Get into, get into the show if no for no other reason then I think you'll be surprised what you do under that pressure yeah and how much you would grow it's pretty easy to become complacent as a big fish in a little pond too and I mean oh, it, cool. it's pretty you get pretty comfortable and don't really want to yeah see where they come yeah. from but. Um, Kyra one of our favorite questions is what is your proudest moment with the dog whether it's oh, yeah. you know at home in a trial aspect Hmm. Man, I'd have to. Um, I don't know. Like, there's, there's, obviously, there's different like little stories that you know kind of come up in your life. Um, like I liked last year, Gab was down traveling all over this amazing. I had a, a 19, 18 month old Wild Rock Blue Dog that I like so much. Um, and we had. Not a wreck at home, but we had to do some sorting and stuff. And in like 30 degree weather, Jim and I processed like 1,100 sheep. Mm. And we were just at all the empty. It was like one of the coolest moments because how we're set up at home, where the squeeze is, where you do your sorting, um, is in the barn. And then the alley is around and kind of dog legs behind the barn. Mm-hmm. And so I would walk back and we'd peel 30 out put them in the alley and then leave all the gates open and I would just stand at the chute and just process and I knew that the alley and tub were empty because my dog was in the chute yeah. behind the last animal and then I'd just call him out walk back pull the next 30 and like it was just him and me by ourselves like those moments were really cool where yeah. uh, uh, you're by yourself and you're getting like you know unbelievable things done mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that's probably the, the one 
more more dangerous conversation. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of funny different memories where like you talk to old timers. Wrecks are always a little funny. Yeah. For sure. Everyone likes good wreck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it's your buddy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even like today, like and I think, you know, the sport's like a community and you treat it like a community where you know, we're all in this together. Right. We all want to be better together. And, you know, if if rather than so and so's success is against your success, um, if so and so's success is a part of your own success, right? Because, you know, they ran that tough. Sure to God, it means you can too. Right. So you can go out and figure it out. But with that in mind, um, you know we're at the, the Canadian Cattle Maturity today, and uh, Milt had a run. And this <laughs> was quite good. It was really funny. And I, 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 I think I, you're laughing way harder than Milt is. <laughs> I know, you know, yeah, because I was bugging him. I was like, man, it was kind of like Bob was trying to put him in the pen, and you were actively chasing the milk. <laughs> and he, t he called me different names than I'm going to say on the internet. <laughs> yeah. But, well, we traveled here together from Fairview, so it might be a long drive. It might be a long drive. Yeah, we won't post it until you're home. I know, but he can't leave me behind because I, I brought my kids with me, so he'd have to leave his grandkids. Oh, so that would be hard for him. So. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, that's really cool. Awesome. That's fun. Yeah, um, and you're trialing tomorrow in the Sheepdog yeah. with uh, Blue. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it, honestly, I'm pretty sure it's going to be an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and you know what's funny because like Lamantois, and I think I think you know people. There's like too much. Maybe there's people that bounce around too much in clinics, but I think it's important we get advice from people. Oops. Uh, uh, but. Unmitigated disaster tomorrow. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry, thank you. <laughs> Luann has a, she calls it backyard heroes, where like people talk about, it's like, they get done a trial and it was a total wreck. And they're like, you should see this guy at home, he's amazing. And she's like, I'm sure he is. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm totally in that boat. So I, I'm, we were working dogs and group of people um, on Monday. And I think they're live streaming this. So if you watch it on Thursday and it goes terrible, just just pay attention. Yeah. It does this at home. Yeah. Keep yeah. this in mind. This yeah. is what I want you to well, remember. I, so actually, I didn't, well, one of my, first, my first time ever going to like a big show was at ADDs. And they mm. called Pog Stop and Barrel. And I was standing there and I went blind with one eye. And I thought I was going to pass out. I was so nervous. Really? Yeah. I was shaking like a leaf. I was like terrified of it. And uh, it doesn't get any better. Like, one year in Calgary, I didn't get it for three days. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, oh, I just get so mad. So what do you do? Do you get any, like... If you know, you can tell I me. I don't know. Oh, try David Goggins or something. I know, I know. <laughs> you know what's funny? It's I've thought about it since I listened to your guys' uh, podcast. Like, Montgomery said he doesn't really get nervous. Uh, and he's won Calgary seven times. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't think that's a coincidence. Because he runs really tough. Yeah. Right? I'm not taking that away. Yeah. But a lot of people at Calgary get just like handed. Well, that's the ticket, hey? Yeah. And, yeah. and he's he can stay cool as a cucumber and work his dogs like he's at home. Oh, God, it's got to be hard. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I 
I can't offer any advice in that department. Well, Milt said he used to get super nervous, too. Yeah, he also yeah, he used did. to get super drunk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe play in the hand. Have yeah. you tried that? I know. I, I should. I That's what my mom, who trialed with your dad, yeah. uh, she's an extremely nervous competitor, and um, I yeah, hate to... What has, um, what's been your biggest struggle with dogs in general, like your weak point? Really? Yeah, no. If you can pick yourself apart. Oh, I, I'm terrible for getting a dog to lie down. Okay. I, I just, like, as a rule, and I really, so I, I have a book called this, I call it Problems for Symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the problem there is I think the really hardcore messy stuff, like, you know, really square flanks, flanks and a really hard lie down and those kind of things, they're extremely important. Super boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So boring. Yeah. Like I talk about having a dog in that processing all those lions last summer. That was a lot of fun. Oh yeah. And I didn't have to say lie down once or make sure he had square flanks. He was just helping me, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of new hammers get stuck on this. And and if you listen to other podcasts, not not that they're any near as good as this. Oh, thank you, Kyer. <laughs> to be clear. Yeah, this one's the best. Thank you. If, if you listen to other ones, which aren't as good, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll hear uh, Patty Fanning's got the church mount sheet dog. Right, this. yeah. And, uh, um, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, he talks to these European guys that come mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. and do clinics. And they, they kind of laugh that they come home thousands of miles and halfway across the world. And they come here and these people are like, yeah, you know, I just want to work on my outrun and my lift. And, you know, I really I want to get a better look back and shedding. And then they watch the dog work and they're like, okay, we're going to go ground pen. And we're going to square this dog up and line down. Yeah. yeah. And, right? So they, they yeah. charge all this money, come all this way. And all they do is teach dogs to Go back down. to the basics. Exactly. Yeah. And the basics are just so dang important. And I think, as a general rule, right, one of um, not there's several difference between people who for, win all the time. You know the names. Mm-hmm. Those people that win all the time and the people who are always close is the people who win all the time. Their fun, fundamentals, their basics are dead Bang solid. On. They yeah. are dead, dead solid. And uh, people who let it slip, like me, um, like oh, that dog didn't like that. I don't want to fight with him right I'm now. I'm not going to bother him yeah, again. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I'm sure these people are sick of hearing me scream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, you know, exactly. So um, I, have a, I have a hard time. Meet, and it's something that I've really focused on recently is because I like, came to that realization. Now, again, it's like if you get caught up, it's like, oh, dogs don't lie down for me. I don't know what's going on. And I think if you look at more of your training of like, okay, is this a solution of a Problem, right. Right. Like, in, in in the UK, they have a big thing for dogs being built correctly. Right. So if a dog doesn't take a square flank, they ask themselves one of two questions. One, um, is there something in my training that's not getting my dog to take a square flank, not to turn over their hocks and you know, hold it up, or is the dog just not built to be able to do that? Right. Can that dog physically sit on his ass, bend over? Yeah. <laughs> someone sit on his ass, come over, you know, take a square, uh, square flank, where, or do they have to 
question are they built incorrectly where they have to turn tail or they can't take it still mm -hmm. right and and if we we have we're not super concerned with confirmation that's the first i've ever heard somebody articulate the confirmation of an sense, animal though. affecting their performance it totally yeah. makes sense yeah. like laura and i are mainly in the horse industry and it's huge over there exactly you know yeah, when yeah. they physically think, can't do something and uh who was it it was i think dustin said it mm -hmm. uh where you know if you if you did badly first right like and, and even dogs if you think over in the uk they got hills right mm -hmm. we're, we're Elkhart, Regina, and you can see calgary from here easy, <laughs> yeah. and uh, uh you know so it's not as important they talk about like doing those big hill trials, right? And if a dog makes, if someone said this, and I'm gonna misquote, it's like Nigel Walker and Tyler Lewis, and they said, um, where they make running look like hard work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. they, they run up a hill to get those sheep or whatever, and it looks just hard. And then the next dog goes, and they don't even look like they're floating. They're just out there floating, yeah. mm -hmm. right? And you know, we're not very caught up on confirmation, like I said. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and sometimes the cow dog guys can even get worse, where it's like, you need a big dog to face them bulls or whatever, mm. right? And then they start breeding for different funny things. Yeah. And, and they kind of neglect that, maybe. Like, yeah. like I said, I'm not a breeder. I, I have no knowledge on how it all works. But, like, you watch them, it's like, confirmation so over there uh like is that kind they look at it like an industry standard or is that just a small amount of people that take that into consideration well, okay. so consideration. i talked to people from over there and they said it's it's kind of like here where there's like a whole the community is big yeah right? and there's a whole bunch of like fluffy pet owner types yeah i'm not saying that's very negative i might have been condescending that's not my point no it's just the, there are those top handlers and then there's the people that don't get caught up on it, right? The top handlers, that matters. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not a coincidence that if you look at the, the dogs over there, you look at the videos, they're all big chested, right? big lungs, right? So they, they yeah. stay out there all day, right? Um, and then their, their back ends are poor. Right. right? They got solid back ends. Like all of them, they're, they, they're all these slick haired dogs. They all look very, very similar. They're all built very, very similar. They look happy. Mm. I'm going to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes a big difference. And, and when someone said that, to, I think it was Alex McRae said, like, you know, a dog not taking the square plank has absolutely to do with how they built. Yeah. Right? Or even like dad talks about, dad being milk, talks about those big headed dogs and those big tongue dogs. Yes. And choking themselves. Were, choking themselves. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. they get out there and, and you hear them breathe hard. And they're trying to breathe past their tongue. And overheating. And they sound, but you listen to them yeah. breathe, right? And they're breathing, and it's, if they make things that should be easy look like hard work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Breathing is hard work. And yeah. You know, half, and their tongue's halfway down their feet. Yeah. That's yeah. That is so important to watch out for for everyone. Yeah, you know, well, like you can under, underestimate those issues. We're so caught up on two things. One, um, is that dog tough enough to turn a cow? Right. Right. And two, uh, uh, what's its mind like? We're obsessed with the mind, and and that's important in in like just vital, really. Mm -hmm. But you can probably pick both. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. don't have to pick one or the other. You can pick 
I think those guys over there, one thing we, we can learn from them is they go through a ton of college. Yes. They're not afraid to yeah, go through yeah, the numbers. That's right. yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we're just looking at statistics, yeah. math. Wonder about like the the base of genetics that they're drawing off of compared to ours. Yeah. Well, so I'm the first person. I I was thinking about this when you guys asked me. I, I'm not really a horse person, and I think I'm the first person you've interviewed that's not a horse person. <laughs> so I can. Jared. Jared grew up Jared horses. Jared. What did he? Yeah, yeah, oh, he claims he's not that well, kind. Well, he, he drives teams all the time. Yeah. Oh, yes, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, about the teams. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, he's, he's not his horse team. Horse teams. That's what they're called. Yeah, horse teams. <laughs> anyway, but he's not a horseman. Okay. No, Jared, okay. if you're listening to this, Laura said if you're a poor horseman. That's, that's what I think. Yes. He goes behind them, Laura. not on top of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, um, I think the. Totally. Genetics. Yeah. Um, you know, and I always say this is not going to make me so much trouble, but who cares? That's fine. Um, thank God cowboys breed their dogs funny colors. Do you tell they're shitty from far away? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they like it. <laughs> yeah. Because they always run these blue things and white and yeah. red, and they get caught up on the colors for some reason. Yeah. Never mind, there's plenty of really good black and white border colors. I don't know why you have to. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But I think. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, yeah, if, if we were just, and then you get more picky, and I know that dog trialing gets a bad rep sometimes about mechanical right. nonsense, but to my mind, if they're good enough to win a trial, they're damn sure good enough to help you at home. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. But, and the one uh, caveat I will say that is, if you're taking your competition dog and you're having to call ahead what kind of livestock you're running on, that is a bad sign. Sure. Where, like, I talked to Scott Glenn about this. You know, Scott, when he leaves in the spring, like, he's on the road trialing and, until the snow flies, basically. Mm -hmm. And he told me, he's like, do you think I would ever take a dog down the road that I was worried about him lifting the sheep at the top end? Right. Right? Like, and he's in sheep, but, like, you know, People say, oh, dog trial dogs are weak and blah, blah, blah. But the ones that win all the time, right? They're running on those tough range shoes. They're running on those flighty katahdins. They're running on everything in between. And and they have to do really hard things. They have to listen from really, really far away. Yeah. They have to do the shedding ring correctly. And then some one of the unsung heroes, I think, is like the penning. Because you can't, as a handler, if you just had your dog pen based off what you're saying the whole time, you're going to always be late. Yeah. If you watch the really, really good dogs, you know, they'll take a come by before someone says, because they knew this was needed, right? They'll cover the gaps and put them in the pen by themselves. Right. And just off of that, I think if you look at the dogs that habitually win the, the toughest competitions, which in my mind is the sheep field trials, if they habitually win there, Right? That means they have the stamina to be out there for a 20-minute, half-hour double lift. You bet. Right? They got the power to lift anything in front of them, but the finesse to hold on to them. Because yeah. sometimes we get those really downhill dogs that split everything all the time. So they have to have the, the power to you know, get them moving, mm -hmm. and then the finesse to hold on to them. And you, 
like the dog trial, the field trial is designed to test every aspect. Yeah. So if you look in, in on your papers, there's always asterisks against champions. Right? Mm -hmm. If you're looking for champions, you're going to be well underway. Way further ahead than, yeah. 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 yeah, and that's how over in the UK they breed. They breed yeah. for champions. Yeah. Right? And yeah. it makes a world of difference. Yeah. Are those guys at the top um, that are trialing down there, like, are, the, are they still coming from working backgrounds? I would say think? generally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, if, if you look at the crowd, mm -hmm. right, they're coming in, like, uh, Alan Owen said it in the podcast. It's not as good as this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, said it, he said it in a podcast. His best training is lambing. Uh, yeah. Right? Because yeah. if you think about it, like when if you go to a field trial and you have to shed and you have to shed out a single, mm -hmm. that's like and, and that single really doesn't want to hang around. Think about a new you with new lambs mm -hmm. that doesn't want to hang around. It's trying to pile your dog all the time, yeah. right? And then you know, you, but you've got to get that you in the barn. You're recreating that on a trial field, mm -hmm. right? So the best best training is at home. As long as the, I think one of the big differences with people who win trials and the people who can show up for trials, right? Is the people who win trials, when they're doing jobs at home, they are really concerned with how the job gets done. Sure, yeah. Whereas the people who show up are just, they only care whether or not the job happens. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, it doesn't, if you think, look at Milk, right? If he goes in trails a thousand views, it's not just whether or not, oh, I got him in the field. Yeah. You know, did I get them in the field? Did anything? Was there any wrecks? Was there blah blah blah? Was my dogs taken what they were supposed to be taken right. along the way? So on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And and you know, one of the things I pick on for cowboys is, yeah, okay, you brought you pulled the cattle out of the feedlot pen, right? But you ripped three tags out, and the one's bleeding, and mm -hmm. you almost tore the fence out on the way by. Your dog wasn't listening. You were screaming the whole time. Right. You had to down your dive on top of them because if you've ever worked dogs in pens, the second the animals go through the gate, the dog goes run around to the head. Yeah. And then you get fighting with them on that. And, you know, oh, they got, they got them out of the pen. It's like, mm. let's, get, let's get more picky on how Facility that happens. for sure. Yeah, yeah how it's done. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, strongly. Cause, yeah, because yeah, if you get really picky on it being done well mm -hmm. and correctly, mm -hmm. you know, not only you improve your stockmanship, but livestock get trained as quick as dogs do, mm -hmm. right? That's right. Where if if you think today the, the maturity of some of these cats are pretty tough, right? And God bless, like I said, getting cattle is expensive, and God bless anyone willing to give cattle. I'm not complaining about cattle whatsoever. No. Because they're fair. Yeah. Right? But if you watch the cattle today, they are tough. Fair tough, but they're tough. And when the dog steps in front of them, and the cattle turn, and then the dog heals them as they turn, the top cattle turn back right away and yeah. get on top. Yeah. But if the dog gets in front of the cattle, turn the cattle, and then back off, yeah. and let, so in, just in training, whether it's horses, sheep, mm -hmm. dogs, it's not when you apply the pressure, it's when you take the Absolutely. pressure off. It's when yeah. you release. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you're working livestock and you never release the pressure, you're on, always on their ass, always mm -hmm. with the prod, always with your healer, whatever it is, and harassing them, you know, they're always going to be on the fight. And the yeah. same people that, right, because you talk to these cow, and I always pick on the cow guys, but 
they always say the same. The dog is always trying to not listen to them. The horse is always trying to buck them off. And the cattle are always trying to run them over. It's like this, the animals are always out to get them. Yeah. And, and in my opinion, the dog, like the only common denominator between all three is you, right? I've never been run over by a cow, or at the feedlot, I've never been run over, right? There's times that they get hot and you get out of the way, but I've never got run over. And I'm not a horseman, so I can't really speak to that. And if the dog's not listening, you know, I blame myself. I'm like, okay, why is, did I put him in a bad situation? Have I not been training him enough? What am I doing? You know, he's not just actively trying to be disobedient. He's trying to help me out. Mm-hmm. Where, where am I slipping? Yeah, right? exactly. But if animals are always out to get you, um, why would they ever respect you? Mm-hmm. Because you're convinced, convinced, the only way you're going to get them is that you uh, are a complete authority. Right, right. You right. dominate. You don't finesse them at all. You don't work with the dog. You don't back right. off the you could speak to the horses better than I could. Um, but you never, ever work with them. You're always working against them. If you're always working against them, they're always going to be working against you. Yeah, and yeah, and from a position of dominance, I guess, like, yeah, yeah. there's ways to earn that respect or, you know, have it fail, I guess. But, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's, it's so challenging to find that balance in a work situation to set up a dog or a horse to win. Where it's not just a, yeah. you know, kind of a dictatorship or whatever. It's, exactly. And uh, it's where, you know, somewhat in defense of the cow guys, but it's a hard thing to do unless you've really gone through some serious effort to try and navigate how to, how to accomplish that. And, like, yeah. really be able to see what getting that job done well looks like. Because, I mean, a lot of guys don't know it. I've, I've hung yeah. around uh, cowboys that they got some dogs and they, they work exactly how they want them to work, which is success in itself. But, um, but then I came in with my dogs and, uh, and they do things a little bit differently and have a little bit more versatility and their jaws on the ground because they just never seen it. Like, I'm going to go shoot my dogs. Like, you don't have to do that. You you did a good job. You trained them how you wanted them. Yeah. Yeah. But you just don't know any different. Well, I think that's my favorite moments at dog nights or clinics or whatever is when someone comes out and like their jaws on the ground. Yeah. Like dogs can do that. You don't know the half of it. I know, We're yeah. We're just in a little arena here. Like, yeah. Wait till you see what they can do. Like, exactly. What they can do. Like, like that chalk dog you guys talked about with Craig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our room's getting taken over here, guys. Yeah, we may have to but... wrap it up here quick. Yeah. But, do you want to do that? Yeah. Be better. But... Thank you again, Kyer, for coming on. We'll have to get you on again since we're having to cut this a little bit short, but maybe we'll find a moment or something. We're going to try and nail down a few of these over the next uh, day or so. I believe you. I'm sure. Oh, we have money now. Kyers is all almost all gone. But anyone out there looking to support? But no, thank you again so much to Herding East uh, Stock Dogs for their support and pass and sitting down with us today. It's been a lot of fun, and we wish you the best of luck tomorrow. Absolutely. And uh, your promotion on the podcast was great. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Love it. Awesome. Thank uh, you, Kyer. Yeah, Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. And and she'll give me shit notes. And huge thank you to my wife for making it all possible. Honestly, I... You know, I wouldn't be able to get down the road and, you know, she's out with the kids right now and I get to sit here and talk dogs. Yes. 
wasn't for her, mm-hmm. it would definitely not happen. Oh, she is a good sport. She lovely, lovely best. woman. Yeah. 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 yeah, good, good stuff. Well, thank you, both of you. Yeah, thank you. All right. See you next time.